Hi, welcome to the bonus portion of our discussion with Helena DeBrace of Wellesley. And in this portion, we discuss Exit Zero. So the book that I uh, wanted to bring in has a, has, comes from a very different place, um, but it also has a lot to say both about stories and about what it means to narrate your life and what is the purpose of doing that. And it's a, a book by an anthropologist named Christine Wally. The book is called Exit Zero, Family and Class in Post-Industrial Chicago. It's the story of her, or it's the, it's the telling of her, um, of Wally's experience as the daughter of a steel worker, um, who in the 1980s, um, the factory that her father worked for and that everybody in her neighborhood pretty much worked for um, in Southeast Chicago um, closed. And her father and pretty much everyone she knew were out of a job and she, um, she had the opportunity to, um, to apply to Phillips Academy Exeter, applied and went and um, became an anthropologist, wrote a, you know, a bunch of things about you know, more classical uh, themes in anthropology. She wrote about a nature park in Tanzania, was her first book. Um, but was sort of you know, persistently wanting to come back to this and, and sort of tell the story of her leaving of her own class mobility, but not the mobility of her family and neighborhood and what that felt like. And, and she does a brilliant job of telling this as a kind of um, particular story about the US, about deindustrialization, and about this tension between you know, the kind of US narrative of um, getting out I'm, I'm moving my fingers in a quotation mark fashion <laughs> here. <laughs> you know, there's a joke in Britain, you can always tell the anthropology department from a distance because people are going. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had a friend who used to call it the little bunny foo-foo, yeah, right? right? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> what is this Boston doing? I don't even want to know. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but this story about getting out and, and um, you know, that this is kind of, uh, seen as the sort of triumphal end of the story when in fact, you know, what happens and what is that sense of dislocation um, that comes about in relation to that. Um, yeah. And, um, but she also, you know, writes really interestingly about what it's like to write an ethnography about herself and her family, both from a kind of ethical perspective and a, just a problem of writing mm -hmm. and a question about, you know, to what extent am I, is my family typical or not? And what does that even mean? Um, and she has this really, um, well, I don't know, John, do you want to talk about the stories? Uh, well, I was hoping you would, but I mean, like, <laughs> okay. one of the things that really struck me, which uh, Helena, I think was why both Elizabeth and I proposed the pivot at this point, is that the story is, you know, it's, I mean, I was going to say the poor man's ethnography, but that's not quite right. It's like more like her realization mm -hmm. that when her dad answers one of her questions with a story, he's mm -hmm. not deferring argumentation or refusing the analytic. That is his analytic category. Right. You know, that is his strategy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's not, and right. it's not, yeah, even like now I feel bad. Like there's this whole concept of like folk, folk ethnography or something, but it's right. like, it just means like yeah, different, I mean, it's, it's you, it's you the, make meaning of the world in different ways. And, you know, right citing a story that tells you about, you know, like labor and practices or whatever is the way of making she that sort of, She yeah. reports it, and the way in which she describes it is sort of her, you know, she keeps coming back home, she's gone to Exeter, and then she goes to Pomona, and then she goes to graduate school, and she keeps kind of trying to work through this material and coming back and talking to her dad and sort of saying, like, well, what was it like for the mill to close? And wanting this kind of much more formally analytic 
answer that sounds like you would get in graduate school right. or something. Right, yeah. right. And she gets a story and she's sort of repeatedly frustrated by this, right. but then comes to realize that this is a perfectly um, uh, legible form of narrativization yeah. and of, of just of um, discussion of the situation. Yeah. But it's, it's yeah. complicated, right? Because on the one hand, she, see, she comes to see that stories are legitimate right, ways right. of structuring your experience and empowering in certain ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also they're constraining. So a lot of what yeah. she's saying in the earlier part of the book is that there are these particular kinds of narratives that yeah. people use, sort of master narratives to explain mm-hmm. their own experience that don't necessarily fit. Um, right. And so if you're trapped within one of those kinds of stories, you're not able to speak sometimes. She said right. sometimes she felt that her father was not able to speak as yeah. a result of yeah. not being able to fit his experience into that sort of more standard story. Yes. So it's this totally. idea that story is both empowering yep. and constraining. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point because I like I my thoughts about the book kind of went in two different directions. On the one hand, I thought of amazing books like Richard Hoggart, Consequences of Literacy, mm-hmm. who's sort of the same generation as Raymond Williams, like these mm-hmm. British cultural studies types. But the way that he could tell the stories, and it's much more explicit with him than with Williams, is to is to typify like he needed the solidarity right. narrative in order right. to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. And so that's one way it went. And then the other way I went was uh, towards a book that I also think we're going to talk about in a later podcast is Privilege by uh, right. Seamus Khan. Yeah. Um, and do you know this book, Helena? Yeah. But it's a book about like t- being a student at and then teaching at a privileged prep school. Which I think is actually Exeter. Which I think is Exeter. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. And good, right, good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one of the points that he makes is about it's about availability of easy narratives. So just like a tiny little detail, like he he represented an awkward puzzle because he was a essentially an affluent non-white person at the school, so people didn't know how to place him. Mm-hmm. But he noticed that there were there's one category of like local working class people that everyone knew how to make sense of, which is that there were a few people who worked at Exeter who were essentially like mentally handicapped. And those people, everyone had a great relationship with because they kind of, it like naturalized the difference so it wasn't awkward. And it's all about, yeah, it's awful, right? Because it's all about a narrative where you can tell a story where it makes sense that Billy, who works in the kitchen, and I could be like, friends, now I'm moving my fingers, friends, because there's a narrative of difference there, like naturalized difference. But uh, there are other kinds of relationships that were just incredibly awkward because nobody knew how to tell that story. Yeah, Yeah, right. There's this book called Stories We Live By by Dan McGannams, a psychologist Mm. um, who's been writing a lot about, um, for years, I guess, about the relationship between stories and people's perception of meaning in their lives. Yeah. Mm. It's very much in the area Mm -hmm. that I'm interested in. Um, And one interesting result of that research is that most people's life stories fit into about seven different plots. I think it's maybe just seven. (laughs) 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 Oh my God, it sounds like the Enneagram. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you're a tragic romantic. Yeah, Yeah, basically. And there's a tendency, some people go towards the tragic, some towards the comic. You know, there are these sort of very well-structured Do the seven have names? People, I can't remember now. Um, But, you know, you can think of that they as worrying, right? It's, right. One, <laughs> it's one source Dwarf of... Dwarf <laughs> You know, it's one source of doubt about the usefulness or the genuineness or authenticity of life storytelling, if right. we're really just fitting ourselves into these sort yeah. of pre-existing, culturally <laughs> right. created Legible, yeah. plots. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the sort of worry about artificiality, I think, comes up in, you know, in our discussion of Cusk, too, and the worries that Wolf has about mm-hmm. whether his stories are being somehow, I don't know, are not truly genuine or being uh, manufactured for her own narrative purposes. So, right, right. Um, 
I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not deeply troubled by that. I, I, mm-hmm. I feel like you could still, the fact that there's a certain amount of cultural determination, you know, to to your story, I don't think takes it off the table or something that would generate mm-hmm. meaning for you in a genuine way. But yeah. um, it does raise some concern about particular narratives that are maybe constraining or disempowering um, right. in a way in which may be hard to get outside of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I also think there's just a point there about the comfort that we find when we're telling the story that people acknowledge. Uh, okay, I'll share a story about somebody that happened, uh, uh, something that happened to a friend of mine. So I have an African American friend who is telling a story about like her childhood in Georgia to another academic. She said, anyway, so yeah, I got the name, her name, because my dad was a, m- and the woman, and the academic she was talking to said, a, a minister? And she's like, no, a Marxist philosopher. <laughs> and the woman's like, oh, but it was like really uncomfortable. And there was like this awkward, there was seriously like two, or, I was sitting there at the table just with my head in my hands and there was like two or three minutes and then finally my friend took pity on the other academic and said, oh, you know, but my grandfather was a minister. <laughs> and then the woman who was an anthropologist, by the way, was like, right. sorry. <laughs> I was like, oh, of course he was. I'm yes. like, of course he was. Like, in what sense is of course he was the correct response? Yes. Just like, you just right. got dug out. Just like, right. like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, it just she needed to be grounded again in her story. She's yeah. like, "Give me a story to live yeah, by." Like my, the yeah. dad who's a minister. I'm just like, "Oh dear, yeah." But right, yeah, right, yeah. But I feel like we're all the bad guy in that story at times. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, we sure. all yeah. find that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another yeah. thing I really loved about the Six at Zero book was just how she's struggling against the constraints of writing within her own discipline. Right. Yeah. So like yeah. Academic writing. The form of academic writing is not enough for her right, to express right. her experience but she's yep. not sure what is this thing I'm writing is this similar question about what is the form really that I need to express what yeah. I want to say yeah it's not really a memoir it's not really a you know mm-hmm. standard academic work what is this thing yeah, yeah. Um, I think she does it very well it's a mm-hmm. different kind of thing um, yeah. it seems well balanced yeah to me but a lot of the book is sort of struggling with that question yeah. about and I guess that holds the that three well. together actually that's something that all three both the wolf the cusk and and Cliff Wally's book are trying to sort of find their sort of in between these genres that are about the self or about the other and trying to f- so kind of find their totally. place in that. Yeah. yeah, and I know we need to wrap up now, but I did actually want to say another thing that I loved about this book, Elizabeth, which is just, it was totally awesome book, was the way in which she is interested, and I think it's because of the difficulty of her own writing project, she's interested in a distinction between narratives of social mobility that are understood as like potentially collectively shared versus narratives of individual social mobility. So on the one hand, she offers us a genre in which she can really tell the story about her getting out and about and then Mm -hmm. being able to look back and critically reflect. And on the other hand, she reminds us that that's actually like also kind of historically contingent because nowadays in the last couple of decades, the narratives of social mobility are about individuals breaking away from their community. You know, like in the middle of the century, we had narratives of like community advancement, but we really don't have those anymore. And we can look back and say, oh, well, there's this American story about mobility, but that mobility in the current economic reality is really different from what we had in the middle of the century when people, you know, when there was a genuinely growing middle class. Right, and which actually was the story that steel workers believed, right? Yeah. I mean, steel workers were examples of groups of people and communities that yeah. had a path, potentially at least, to mobility, oh, yeah. but 
you know, it was the path that that was shut off yeah. for her father and for other people. Oh my God! So like the the uh, the version of this that would be uh, like the the pop culture version of this would be from the movie Breaking Away to Exit Zero because <laughs> Breaking Away he's going off to study in France, but it doesn't mean he's like abandoning. No, the, you know, no, no. And there's the that speech yeah. about like stone cutters built for yeah. the University of Indiana. Right, Indiana right, 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 yeah. right, right. We hope you enjoyed this bonus sliver of Recall This Book. Please let your friends know about the show by posting on Facebook or tweeting or writing a review on iTunes or wherever you normally get your podcast. We'll be back real soon.